keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Yeah, Lyndon Johnson, you sure know about that. Well, talk about the dignity of man. Sometimes our economic systems really do affect human dignity. It's not fun to be poor. I suppose it's great fun to be extremely, extremely wealthy. I don't know. It seems a bit odd to me. But for many, many years, as Gore Vidal said, we've had socialism for the very richest and free enterprise for everyone else. And recently, there's a poll that came out. I don't have the source, unfortunately. Maybe uh, you do, our guest, Lawrence Whitner, that says 66% of Americans agree with what you and I think of as socialism, not the socialism for the rich that we've had, but, but real socialism. Well, what is socialism? I don't, I don't know how many people really know what it means, but I've heard it said that when Americans hear the word socialism, we stop thinking right then and there. Then again, thousands of enthusiastic supporters have recently filled halls across America beyond their capacity to cheer Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, who has called himself a socialist. He's been very, very popular with liberals and conservatives in Vermont. And as Bob Dylan sang so many years ago, and it seems to be true, something is happening here, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? What is it with the word socialism? Why has it been so forbidden to even speak its name for so much of the 20th and now 21st century? Could it be that Americans are finally over our reflexive revulsion at something we have never known what it really is? Well, our guest today on Keeping Democracy Alive is Dr. Lawrence Whitner, whose new article raises the question, Will Americans Vote for a Democratic Socialist? Dr. Whitner, Lawrence, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Uh, thank you. Well, I'm glad to be here today. Lawrence Whitner is a prominent American historian who has combined intellectual life with activism for peace and social justice. Professor Whitner is the author of nine books, the editor or co-editor of another four, and the writer of over 250 published articles and book reviews. His most ambitious scholarly project thus far has been his Struggle Against the Bomb trilogy, One World or None, Resisting the Bomb, and Toward Nuclear Abolition, a history of the worldwide nuclear disarmament movement. 
Numerous organizations have celebrated his activism with awards including Citizen Action, Peace Action, United University Professions, and Veterans for Peace. Great organization. Currently, he's a national board member of Peace Action, the largest peace organization in the U.S., and on occasion, he performs vocally and on the banjo with the Solidarity Singers, who enliven a variety of venues, picket lines, rallies, prisons, and conventions of the American Historical Association with their music. His newest book is What's Going On at U Ardvark. U Ardvark. It's a fast-paced political satire about how an increasingly corporatized modern American university becomes the site of a rambunctious rebellion that turns the nation campus life upside down. It's a comic romp through what has become a serious issue in contemporary America, the corporate takeover of higher education, well, the corporate takeover of everything, really. Today in America, certainly we have an increasingly wealthy one-tenth of one percent and a nearly totally decimated middle class, which our founders recognized was essential to maintain a democracy and to keep a Republican form of government. Bernie Sanders talks a lot about this in his surging campaign. The last time we had such unequal distribution of wealth, I believe— was the Gilded Age, which was back in the 1890s. The Demo then democratic socialism took on that injustice head-on, and we had the reforms of the early 20th century, championed eventually by President Theodore Roosevelt. As our guest, uh, Lawrence Whitman Whitner, writes, uh, during the first two decades of the 20th century, the idea of democratic socialism Democratic control of the economy, now there's definition, had substantial popularity in the U.S. How did that happen, uh, Dr. Whitner? And paint a picture of that context, please. Well, um, certainly during the, the late 19th century, um, it's a time of rapid industrial growth in the United States and uh, in Western Europe as well. Um, there were uh, numerous injustices brought on by this uh, growing uh, corporate control of the economy and increasingly of U.S. politics. Um, uh, mistreatment of workers, um, mass misery, uh, the, the uh, development of, of slums in major cities, um, the, the poisoning of the, the population um, with um, uh, drugs, uh, that were advertised uh, to be one thing and were all, often, in fact, uh, something else, uh, uh, food that was uh, rotten or, or treated with uh, chemicals that were uh, destroying the, the uh, consuming public, uh, a whole range of, of, of things um, that the, the, the public was uh, dismayed about. And increasingly, uh, writers uh, took on these issues. They exposed the, the corporate control of American politics. Uh, they developed uh, reform movements, such as the agrarian uh, reform movement uh, called the, the uh, populists. Uh, there was a, a progressive movement uh, inside both major parties. And, and, and most uh, dramatically, uh, they developed the Socialist Party of America. Uh, its leader was uh, Eugene Debs, uh, a, a prominent uh, a labor leader of the time. He had founded the American Railway Union. 
and other uh, union activists were also uh, inspired by the rise of this uh, Socialist Party in, in the United States, just as they were uh, in Western Europe and in uh, some other places, such as Australia and New Zealand. So a, a, a socialist movement uh, developed to uh, combat the, the abuses uh, of uh, corporate capitalism in the late 19th century. So then it sounds like there were the, uh, the, the plutocrats, the oligarchs, but the two parties at the time, who were very different from what they are now, weren't really taking that on. Was that the case, that they, they, they were ignoring that issue? I mean, Teddy Roosevelt eventually got to it, but was, was there no voice uh, taking on the, uh, the plutocratic uh, rule over America, except for the well, socialists? Well, the uh, Populist Party uh, did so uh, during the late 19th century, but it, it uh, collapsed after uh, several campaigns. Right. Uh, and there were uh, some reformers who moved into the, the Democratic and Republican parties. But uh, for the most part, those parties uh, remained under the, the control of the, the uh, uh, new uh, corporate rich. Right. Uh, and most of the reformers and, and um, uh, socialists turned to this new socialist party. Mm-hmm. It was only after the the Socialist Party during the first um, decade or so of the uh, 20th century uh, began to win elections or to uh, seriously challenge the the Democrats and the Republicans uh-huh. for, for control of uh, cities and, and states and even uh, at times to elect members of Congress that the, the um, uh, reform wings mm-hmm. of the Democratic and Republican parties uh, surged to the fore uh, largely as a response to the socialists, to head off the socialists, uh, and mm-hmm. enacted things such as the Pure Food and, and, and Drug Act, uh, and women's suffrage, uh, and minimum wage and maximum hour laws, and, and so on. So uh, uh, the mainstream parties uh, responded to the, the uh, socialist challenge by, um, as in, in some cases, at, at least stealing the uh, socialist program hmm. and uh, enacting them themselves. Well, it sounds like, uh, I mean, certainly some of the major players uh, these days, I mean, so much of that sounds like a carbon copy almost of what's going on today. You know, some of the major players in the, at least the Democratic Party, uh, are being at least having to mouth the words, whether they mean it. I'm talking specifically about Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, being pulled to the left, where she's never been on the left. But, uh, you know, they do what uh, they need to do sometimes. But then again, you know, we have Bernie Sanders. And, and one of the uh, uh, politicians in American history that school kids have read about is Upton Sinclair, who wrote that very famous book, The Jungle, about uh, how, you know, without any kind of uh, government oversight uh, incredibly unsafe uh, working conditions and unsanitary food was the result, but the socialists pushed it, and Upton Sinclair was himself a socialist who very nearly won election as governor of California, and I believe it was 1932, it may have been 34, I'm not sure. It was 34, and in in fact, while while, uh, Sinclair began as a a, a zealous socialist, a a supporter of the Socialist Party and its, its candidates, in 1934, um, he, he uh, ran for the Democratic nomination, 
um, right. for uh, governor of, of California, uh, and he won it. Uh, that's and right. He, he campaigned in, in that year as a Democrat. Mm. And he nearly won. Uh, he, he ran what was basically uh, a Democratic Socialist campaign, um, uh, but as a Democrat. And um, uh, he did very well. The, the uh, corporate establishment in, in, in California was just horrified yeah. and uh, united against him. Right. But uh, uh, Sinclair's campaign um, uh, was called End Poverty in California. Oh, right. And he uh, proposed uh, public ownership and uh, production uh, for use rather than for profit. And he took up all the uh, socialist ideas of his past and the uh, Socialist Party's ideas as well. Well, we have a candidate now who is running for the Democratic nomination for president, not for governor of California, of course. That's uh, Bernie Sanders. And what is, what was the Socialist Party's agenda back when it had some uh, some strength? When Je- Eugene Debs ran for president, he did remarkably well. Maybe you could talk about what Debs and other uh, candidates and actual office holders and the the power of the Socialist Party and socialists in general in the United States. It wasn't such a bad word then. There were a lot of uh, elected uh, members of the Socialist Party and, of course, Eugene Debs. Right. Well, uh, in 1912, for example, uh, United, when the uh, United States had a much smaller uh, population than uh, today, oh, yeah. the, the Socialist Party had 118,000 dues-paying members, uh, and its, its uh, presidential candidate, uh, Eugene Debs, uh, drew uh, roughly uh, one million votes for the uh, presidency. Now, uh, one million votes today may still strike us as a, uh, a fairly small vote, but again, the the uh, population of the United States was much smaller, uh, and the winning candidate, uh, the Democrat, uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, drew only uh, six million votes. Hmm. So uh, Debs was um, um, doing uh, remarkably well, and the American Socialist Party was really comparable at that time um, to the uh, British Labour Party and the French Socialist Party and other, other uh, Western European uh, political parties that were gradually uh, rising to, to power. And it was assumed that the Socialist Party would also uh, uh, begin to uh, run the United States, uh, elected uh, by the people and um, acting um, for the people. Uh, and, and in fact, that same year, uh, the, the party held uh, 1,200 uh, public offices wow. in uh, 340 cities, uh, including 79 mayors in uh, 24 states. Uh, so there were mayors in many uh, big cities, such as uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as well as in uh, smaller cities like uh, Butte, Montana, and uh, Schenectady, New York. Hmm. So the Socialist Party was a, a, a thriving uh, political party at that point, and, and seemed on, on the verge of becoming uh, one of America's mainstream political parties. Interesting. And, and, and you write that the Democratic and the Republican parties faced with this threat to their political future turned to supporting progressive agendas that stole the socialist thunder. What, what, right, what was the socialist thunder? What was their thunder? Oh, well, uh, they, were, they were calling for things that, that seemed very avant-garde at that time. Uh, uh, women's suffrage, for example, uh, 
they were they were calling, of, of course, for uh, regulation of the meatpacking industry and, indeed, of all uh, corporations, such as the railroad lines, which were the major corporations of the time. Um, and uh, they were they were calling for uh, workers' rights and the right to to uh, form labor unions. Uh, unions were, of course, uh, frequently uh, suppressed, uh, not just by management, but by the the uh, government as well. Uh, strikes were broken uh, when uh, federal or or state troops were sent in right. to to uh, break them up and uh, arrest uh, union leaders. And in fact, Debs. Uh, had been arrested during the great uh, Pullman strike of uh, of 1894. Hmm. So um, uh, the uh, Socialist Party uh, supported workers' rights, uh, and workers rallied to it. Um, the uh, the party, of course, had a long-range vision, not only of uh, so-called immediate reforms, hmm. but also of of uh, public ownership and and uh, control of the American economy. Interesting. You talk about public ownership. That makes me think of a lot of things. Right? Lately, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, net neutrality on the Internet, and there was recently uh, a court ruling that, yes, the Internet is a public utility, that it's something that we, all of us, depend on and therefore shall be regulated as a public utility. And so that has... You know, there are those uh, uh, corporate uh, uh, powers that were very, very much against that. They wanted to have uh, different uh, levels of the Internet, one for paying customers, one for everybody else, and that has been struck down. So there's an example of perhaps a little bit of, of socialism, the idea of a public utility. We have gas, we have electricity, we have water, all these things we depend on. Well, we depend on an awful lot of things these days, and, uh, you know, to have us whipped around. I mean, there are people who's head of, of water companies who say, no, the public has no right to drinking water. I think a lot of people disagree with that. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Alive, Bert Cohen here. Our guest today is Professor Lawrence Whitner, uh, an American historian. We're talking about uh, will Americans vote for a democratic socialist? It's happened before, and who knows? It it, it may happen again. Uh, of course, the word socialist, people tend to react uh, reflexively that, oh, it's a bad word or something like that. But it was really strong. And I want to talk just for a few minutes about the demise of, of socialism. The socialists vociferously opposed the entry of the U.S. into the disastrous First World War. Uh, and I would certainly agree that it was a terrible mistake for the U.S. to get into it because it made World War II happen, but that's another story. What were the reasons why the socialists opposed U.S. entry into the First World War, and then how did that position, opposing the war, affect their standing among U.S. citizens as we did enter that war? The uh, Socialist Party of the United States, like its, its counterparts in other nations, the uh, British Labor Party, the German Social Democratic Party, the Swedish uh, Social Democratic Party, and so on, uh, believe that the wealthy of the world and their colonialist imperialist policies um, were were uh, driving uh, the nations of the world toward an imperialist war, um, which in fact happened. Uh, yes. World War One. Yes. So they they vowed uh, in the years before the war to oppose an an imperialist war, and so uh, when the war uh, broke out, 
the uh, American socialists uh, said that they would not uh, support that uh, war for empire on, on the part of Germany or on the part of, of Britain or on the part of any of the powers that were fighting for imperial gain. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that, that position was a, a popular uh, position in the United States. And the United States didn't enter the war when it began right. in 1914. Uh, it uh, stayed out of the war. And uh, President uh, Wilson, uh, the Democrat, mm. uh, campaigned in 1916 with the slogan, he kept us out of war, so that um, keeping out of an imperialist war was a very popular uh, position in, in the United States, uh, although there were some, some forces that were uh, pressing for intervention. Uh, but in early 1917, uh, Wilson uh, decided that the United States should enter the war, and he brought a, a, a declaration of war to Congress. And while the, the socialists uh, continued to oppose that, he got the, the uh, declaration of war uh, through Congress with a majority, although there was a, a substantial minority against it, and the war was on. The, the socialists continued to take a strong anti-war stand, mm-hmm. but from that point on, the, the forces of, of nationalism and flag-waving and... Uh, uh, and and uh, super patriotism yeah. uh, were working against them. So while their their vote uh, actually uh, went up in the um, uh, the local uh, municipal uh, elections of, of 1917, uh, the uh, the government moved in to uh, repress them. Yes. Uh, the the Espionage Act was passed in 1917. Um, the uh, Sedition Act was passed in 1918. <clears throat> and these these two federal laws um, uh, gave the government uh, the right <clears throat> to fine and imprison people for up to uh, twenty years for um, uh, for opposing war, for um, uh, reducing enlistment in, in the armed forces. Um, it, it gave the right to uh, uh, the government to uh, censor newspapers. Yeah. to to uh, keep them uh, from using uh, the U.S. mail uh, or, or other uh, publications, such as magazines. So it was a major uh, political and uh, civil liberties uh, crackdown at, at the time, and it was used to uh, destroy the uh, Socialist Party. Uh, thousands of, of Socialist Party leaders were uh, prosecuted. Uh, many of them uh, served uh, prison terms. Uh, including the uh, party standard bearer uh, Eugene Debs, who was who was um, who had had made a speech in uh, Canton, Ohio, where the local uh, socialist party leaders had already been been sent to jail, and he made a, a speech before a large sympathetic crowd, um, saying that the master class has always uh, declared the wars, and the uh, subject class has always fought the battle. Right. Uh, a, a rather strong way of, of saying that it's a rich man's war and a poor man's fight, which had been the, the stands of the socialists all along. Um, but he was uh, prosecuted for saying that, and he received a, a 10-year uh, prison term and was uh, packed off to uh, federal prisons, ending up in the Atlanta uh, penitentiary, where he nearly died. So... The, the Socialist Party was certainly ground down uh, by government uh, repression. Um, 
a second factor, though, was that um, in the in the wave of of, of nationalist uh, uh, and uh, xenophobic uh, hysteria uh, uh, during World War One, uh, encouraged by the federal government, uh, a good portion of the public was also turned against uh, right. against socialism. It right. explained, of course, that these people were unpatriotic; uh, they weren't uh, supporting American troops, uh, <clears throat> and therefore good. Good, good patriots should never uh, support ah. uh, socialism. Um, a, a further factor that that uh, hurt the Socialist Party was the the uh, the split right. over the Bolshevik Revolution, ah. the the Communist Revolution that that took place uh, in, in in Tsarist Russia. Uh, there had been a revolutionary uh, movements inside Tsarist Russia. Uh, one couldn't vote there. Of, of, course, there, was, there were uh, no elections. Uh, Russia had a very uh, authoritarian past. It certainly didn't have oh, yeah. a democratic past. <laughs> and, and so the, the uh, Bolsheviks said, uh, in the context of the World War, staged um, uh, a revolution and ultimately took sole power uh, in Russia, the largest country in the world at that time. And therefore, um, that example uh, of revolution and of, of calling, as the Bolsheviks did, for uh, socialism, which they called communism, mm-hmm. of course, um, meant that um, portions, um, a, a, a minority in this case, of the Socialist Party at, in the United States and other Socialist Parties now said, um, well, the, the, um, the capitalists in in uh, democratic societies where elections take place, don't play fair, they throw our leaders in, into jail, how can we possibly um, you know, take part in uh, democratic elections? Uh, and therefore, uh, we should rise up, as the Bolsheviks uh, showed us, oh and, and, and stage revolutions. And so a portion of the Socialist Party in the United States and a portion of other Socialist parties uh, broke off and they formed communist parties, mm-hmm. uh, parties that were dedicated uh, to revolution, not to democratic elections and to uh, civil liberties. Um, and so uh, from that point on, from the time of the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917 on, right. the, uh, the world socialist movement was split yeah. into socialist parties and communist parties. Mm. Uh, and they were uh, bitter foes, in fact. They were rivals. Uh, and they uh, preached a, a totally different sort of, of uh, political uh, position. And um, so that, that helped to split the Socialist Party in the United States, and in turn the, the federal government, then um, horrified by this, this specter of revolution, began to crack down even harder on the, the Socialist uh, Party and now the, the Communist Party, too. Uh, and many unaffiliated radicals, unaffiliated leftists, and to to uh, deport them and to uh, arrest them, uh, and at at times uh, they were even lynched. Oh my! So then it sounds like through that process that you just described, uh, Professor Whitner, that uh, what had been a very respectable and respected. Uh, 
relatively mainstream socialist party got uh, stuck with this uh, image of a violent revolutionary, the Bolshevik bomb-throwing revolutionary, which for a lot of socialists wasn't at all the case, but they got plastered with that label, and it was kind of downhill from there. And ever since then, there's been this, uh, you know, fear works. Let's face it, fear is very, very effective. And and the government, as you said, painted uh, a picture of all socialists as fitting into this, and that you should be very, very scared of these other people. And I have to say I'm reminded of, a, of a, a quote from my old friend Abby Hoffman who used to say of the left that isms get schisms and go to wasms pretty quick. <laughs> you know, it seems like that's true. Oh, my goodness, yes. That's a perennial affliction of the left, these the splits. So many Americans from that point on, tell me if this is right, equated legitimate electoral socialists as the same as the the evil bloody communists is that right oh absolutely and that was a a a real ball and chain uh especially I'm during sorry. the the cold war when the soviet union emerged as the great foe of the united states uh-huh. on the world scene and also of course was uh, a very unappealing uh, society and um uh, the the socialists who actually were were quite critical of the Soviet Union, although the right. the, the communists were uh, supportive, but the socialists who were who were quite uh, critical were uh, assumed to be uh, supportive and assumed to be uh, just like the yeah. communists, and in this case, uh, just like uh, uh, Soviet leaders. Right. So it was a, a very un, unfair characterization. Uh, of democratic socialists, yeah. but nonetheless, it was one that was often uh, sticking uh, to them, and they found it hard to escape from that uh, stereotype yeah. of themselves as 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 simply uh, supporters of the Soviet model for the United States, mm. when, when in fact they were really uh, supporters of of the um, uh, the British Labour Party model, mm-hmm. a model that brought national health care uh, to Britain or a model that brought other uh, reforms to uh, British life uh, and made it uh, economically uh, more democratic, uh, just as it remained uh, politically democratic. I like that economic democracy. That That's a, a more perhaps attractive uh, name for what is basically the same thing. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Alive, Bert Cohen here, our guest today is Professor history professor Lawrence Whitner. We're talking about Will Americans vote for a democratic socialist? Certainly harm was done to the brand, shall we say, in the 20th century. And it's been, it's been tough. And it was, you know, the, the picture that was painted of, of the communists, had, you know, stuck on the socialists, which wasn't at all the case. But then again, you know, Americans saw socialists the same as communists. Well, after the Debs era, Norman Thomas became what you described as an attractive, articulate leader of the Socialist Party. Tell us about his appeal, please, and what political segments were drawn to his brand of socialism. Well, uh, Norman Thomas was a, uh, you know, uh, much like Debs in terms of his views. But nonetheless, he, he, he came from a different uh, constituency. And, and indeed, the, the, the of the two men, in, in many ways, um, symbolize the, the change in the Socialist Party. Uh, aside from going downhill, it was drawing 
on very different forces uh, after the the hammer blows of the world the uh, the world war and its immediate aftermath. Uh, uh, Debs, of, of course, had come out of the labor movement and had had been a uh, a railway uh, workers' leader. Um, Norman Thomas was a uh, Protestant uh, clergyman, uh, a very uh, dignified fellow who had attended uh, Princeton University, uh, unlike Debs, who had um, had left school uh, after grade school. Uh-huh. Um, so so uh, Debs uh, symbolized the uh, blue-collar worker, while Thomas, in many ways, uh, symbolized uh, the middle-class intellectual. And indeed, the, the Socialist Party which by the 1920s was much smaller than during those first two decades of the uh, 20th century, the, the Socialist Party lost much of its, its uh, working-class base uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and was increasingly narrowed down to uh, middle-class intellectuals and reformers. Mm. Um, so uh, Thomas uh, symbolized those people, and he was a very attractive figure in, in, in many ways. He was very articulate. Uh, he drew a good deal of respect from uh, these reformers. Uh, and there were some, some uh, socialist-led unions, nonetheless, uh, such as the International Ladies' Garment Workers and the Amalgamated Clothing Workers and uh, a few others. But, um, you know, and they liked him, too. But uh, what happened to Thomas was that... Um, he he was campaigning for the uh, usual uh, socialist programs, uh, a combination of immediate uh, demands, such as uh, taxing the wealthy uh, more heavily to to pay for public services, and um, uh, establishing a, a federal uh, minimum wage and maximum hour law, and uh, uh, public ownership of uh, electric power and uh, a variety of other things like that, uh, and the the Democratic Party uh, by the 1930s was moving in that direction. Uh, the New Deal of uh, Franklin Roosevelt uh, and of other uh, Democratic uh, uh, liberals of the time was adopting many of right. those socialist programs, mm-hmm. uh, and the the socialist vote, which had of, of course. Uh, shrunk by the 1920s, uh, continued uh, to go down during the 1930s. And when Thomas uh, was later asked, uh, you know, why the the Socialist Party had had crumbled uh, during the Great Depression, when one would think that its its vote uh, would go up thanks to mass misery and a a, a growing uh, revolt against the wealthy and their corporations, uh, Thomas responded, uh, in a word, Roosevelt. Uh, uh-huh. What he meant, of course, was that the New Deal uh, Democratic Party was adopting at, at least some uh, of the the uh, Socialist Party programs, uh, and therefore many many old socialists were falling away from it. Um, let me give you one example of that. Sure. Um, in the um, uh, the mid uh, to late 1930s. The CIO, the Congress of Industrial Organizations, mm-hmm. uh, was busy organizing uh, the mass production industry, steel, auto, uh, textiles, and so on. And um, 
um, they were thereby challenging the old, more stodgy uh, American Federation of Labor. Um, and uh, uh, in the, the auto plant, uh, the United Auto Workers was active. It, it still hadn't gained union recognition, but it, it, it staged uh, sit-down strikes that actually uh, took over the uh, Chrysler and the, the uh, General Motors plant right. and uh, prevented the company from operating them yes, uh, and demanded union recognition and uh, collective bargaining. Well, the, the owners of uh, General Motors and, and Chrysler were just horrified by this, so uh, they went to the governor of Michigan, uh, a Democrat named Frank Murphy, and they demanded that uh, he send in uh, state, state troops to uh, drive the workers out of the plants and to restore them to, to uh, corporate management's control. Uh, and Murphy, under heavy uh, pressure uh, from the unions, uh, refused to do that. So the, the companies abandoned by the government finally uh, uh, broke down and they recognized the United Auto Workers and they began, uh, began to, to bargain with them. So this was an enormous uh, breakthrough for organized labor. Um, and, uh, you know, how would the Socialist Party deal with this? Uh, the, the Socialists usually uh, ran candidates for governor of uh, uh, Michigan, uh, as well as of other uh, major industrial states, as well as for president of the United States. Uh, what should they do in this case, where a Democrat had been the, the key uh, supporter of the workers, and it helped the union uh, to get established. Well, uh, the Ruther brothers, uh, Roy, uh, Roy uh, Ruther, no, I'm, I'm sorry, um, uh, Walter yes. uh, Ruther, who was a leader of the United Auto Workers, but also uh, his brothers Roy uh, and, and Victor, uh, went to the Socialist Party, since they were key uh, Socialist Party activists, and they, they said to the Socialist Party leaders, look, don't back a candidate uh, against uh, against Frank Murphy. The auto workers are going to have to uh, support Murphy. But the, the Socialist Party said, well, we're a third party. We're not Democrats. We're going to back a, a, a Socialist Party candidate. So they did so, um, and Murphy lost uh, to the Republicans. Mm. Um, consequently, uh, the Ruther brothers dropped out of the Socialist Party, and they, they steered the the auto workers into an alliance with the Democratic Party. Uh, Walter Ruther himself became president of United Auto Workers. Right. He became president of the CIO, uh, and when it merged with the AFL to form the AFL-CIO in 1955, he became uh, the, the second in uh, command of this giant labor federation, a, a, a federation that backed Democrats. Um, so, again, it, it, it shows you how, in the end, the socialist uh, determination to run third-party campaigns meant that the, the Socialist Party constituency, which, um, you know, might have continued as socialists but didn't want to go against the Democrats that were supporting what the, the socialists wanted, um, this, this constituency simply moved into the Democratic Party. Mm. And sometimes, sometimes it worked. And certainly, uh, pressure in the 1930s got Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, to do what he did. He also had pressure from the populist uh, rural area, from Huey Long, 
I, I do find it interesting that socialism and populism had been, their basis had been more rural, Midwestern, and even Southern areas. And then the, the, what happened with the, the communists and uh, the confusion and the inevitable splits in the leftist uh, parties uh, kind of made it go away because the Democrats oftentimes adopted that. And certainly uh, in 1962, when socialist Michael Harrington published The Other America, Lyndon Johnson took ownership of that effort and, uh, you know, d- d- took on the socialist themes and, and, and made it into uh, real governmental policy. And the war on poverty. Yes, the war on poverty. Now, of course, Reagan changed it into a war on the poor, and that has, has continued to this day, unfortunately. And you talk about the Democratic Party, and uh, someone, an old friend of mine, you probably know Katrina Vanden Heuvel of yeah. The Nation, uh, has, has long argued that the Democratic Party is really up for grabs, that we on the traditional left really should go through the structure of the Democratic Party. And it seems like that's what Bernie Sanders has decided to do. I mean, obviously, he recognized that that the third party attempt of, uh, I hate to even say his name, Ralph Nader, uh, you know, put George Bush in the White House. And I, I wonder that if it's possible that a significant number, significant number of Americans are really getting how harmful the concentration and centralization of power and wealth and authority has been and may actually participate. There's this tremendous enthusiasm, at least right now, for Bernie Sanders, who is a democratic socialist or socialist democrat, whatever. Uh, I wonder what you think. I mean, you're a history professor and, you know, you got to see certain trends. Uh, I don't see real enthusiasm, quite frankly, for the, the corporatist, centrist uh, Democratic Party of, of Hillary Clinton. It's just, it's just not happening there. Uh, any kind of optimism that, that you may have? I and mean, what is it that Bernie is saying that only he can say that is resonating so well? Could he become the nominee? Well, I think uh, it's not likely that uh, he will be the nominee. Uh, I think he may win some some uh, primaries. Yeah. Uh, he certainly is appealing to a, a substantial uh, constituency inside the Democratic Party that is uh, fed up with uh, corporate domination of the country and with the Democratic Party's uh, kowtowing to yes. uh, the wealthy and to uh, corporate interests. Uh, the labor movement has been uh, unhappy with a number of things championed uh, by Democratic presidents, such as uh, so-called free trade, yeah. which usually means uh, corporate-dominated uh, trade, and, and uh, outsourcing uh, workers don't and, and uh, consumers don't count. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the the failure to uh, strengthen uh, labor rights through um, uh, labor uh, reform laws. Um, the um, there are um, uh, racial uh, minority groups that have, have felt abandoned by the Democratic Party, despite the fact that they're a, a key a constituent in the party, as is the labor movement. There are a, a variety of reformers, from uh, women's rights groups to um, uh, corporate uh, regulation groups, uh, that have been unhappy with the increasing control of the Democratic Party uh, by the wealthy and yeah. by big big funders. Yes. Um, 
Let me just turn back briefly, though, sure. to Michael Harrington and the old Socialist Party. There had been a, as the Socialist Party had, had almost totally uh, collapsed by the 1960s and 1970s, uh, a debate was going on in, in, inside it uh, between those who still wanted to run candidates and those who said, well, the, the forces for social change, for social justice, for mm-hmm. peace, are inside the Democratic Party now, mm-hmm. maybe we should get inside the Democratic Party, right, too, right. and begin to campaign uh, among them and, and, and help to rally them around uh, socialist programs, such as national health care, for example, mm-hmm. or uh, such as ending uh, the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did so. Uh, uh, Michael Harrington led a uh, group out that, that formed the, the Democratic Socialist Organizing uh, Committee, right. uh, and later Democratic Socialists of America. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's been one one group. Oh, and I, I might mention uh, Bernie Sanders was in the youth group of the old Socialist Party, uh, the Young People's Socialist League, and he was very much part of those debates. Um, and um, uh, some people, though, like, like Sanders, decided uh, to run as independent, right. although he didn't run as an upfront socialist. He, he wasn't running a socialist party campaign. Um, and uh, he won, as, as did many of those who were running inside uh, the Democratic Party, people uh, like Ron Dellums, for example, uh-huh. right. um, who became, uh, who was not just a, a congressman from, from California, but for a time was actually head of the House Armed Services uh, Committee right. and a keen a critic of the military-industrial complex. Uh, so there, there are forces inside the Democratic Party now, uh, including uh, many, many uh, liberals, as, as symbolized by uh, Katrina Van Den Heuvel's Nation magazine, mm-hmm. who are saying the real fight is inside the Democratic right. Party now, right. uh, a, a fight between those who are willing to compromise with the corporations and those who are willing to challenge them head-on and to to call for uh, 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 for real programs that will help uh, working people and not just uh, the wealthy. I, I always find it uh, interesting how many people who are uh, so adversely affected by unbridled corporate capitalism are some of its biggest defenders. It didn't used to be the case. Certainly there's Unlike other Western European countries, there's no real sense of of class here in America. And people, a lot of the people who vote Republican, who vote for the, uh, you know, the the corporate elite and for the plutocrats very enthusiastically, um, also plead the most for capitalism. And socialism can certainly be pictured, painted anyway, as a threat to capitalism, which Americans so clearly and deeply value. Is socialism not a threat to capitalism per se? Well, um, in, in, in theory it is. In practice, um, what's often happened, and in fact uh, what has happened, where, where socialist parties, not communist parties, but socialist parties have, have uh, come to power, is that these, these parties have implemented uh, a variety of, of programs. Um, some involve uh, public ownership. For right. example, uh, the British Labor Party brought uh, a national health care program, a, a, a publicly run and operated health care system, uh, as well as uh, public ownership of the rail lines 
and of certain giant industries like steel and, and coal. But uh, um, for the most part, these, these, these same socialist parties have not uh, developed public ownership in most of the economy. That is, most of it uh, has right. remained um, uh, capitalist. Right. Uh, but in, in terms of the commanding heights of the economy, they've sometimes nationalized, made, made public, uh, certain major industries, such as the electric power uh, industry or the telephone industry. Uh, or the um, uh, the rail line, mm-hmm. or they have national health care programs. Mm-hmm. But most of the economies, uh, uh, or most of the economy, has remained capitalist. Right. Um, so they haven't. Oh, but, but they've also within that capitalist economy, they've uh, promoted various reforms, such as guarantees of um, uh, uh, two months, for example, in in uh, Sweden. Of uh, paid vacation mm-hmm. uh, or or uh, maternity leaves with with pay and a variety of other things that are uh, regulations of these capitalist enterprises um, and and in fact the capitalist enterprises uh, have thrived they've done very yes, well exactly. uh, Western Europe yes. uh, has uh, developed economically just as the United States. Um, and, and done very well. Yes. And, and in fact, in the United States, we really have a mixed economy. Yes, of course. Uh, we have public schools. Yep. We have a, a whole range of, of, <laughs> of public services, uh, including the uh, post office, which was established by the founding fathers in, in the United States. Now, there are, are uh, corporations and uh, conservatives that are uh, trying to get rid yes. of that public sector. Yes. So what I'm getting at is, that, that capitalism can uh, survive just fine. Right. Uh, uh, corporations can, in fact, uh, do very well. But um, under, uh, under a socialist party or, or democratic socialist uh, government, uh, they may have to accept uh, some measure of regulation uh, on what they do in the economy. Well, or uh, some of them, uh, particularly those that are so dominant, that they're uh, too big to, to fail, yeah, right. um, uh, perhaps they should be uh, publicly owned, right. such as the banks, for example. Well, there are many Midwestern states, actually, uh, that have state banks You know that, that serve the common good. And I love what Bernie Sanders said, a bank that's too big to, uh, to fail is too big to exist. And I, I really believe that you can have a mixed economy, you know, capitalism, where it works, and some degree of socialism where capitalism can't fix the problem. Capital, I mean, capitalism is not going to build new schools. It's not going to build new roads. It's not by itself going to fix our aging, you know, decrepit infrastructure. And it seems to me, like Roosevelt did, there was a lot of, right now, there's a lot of work that desperately needs to be done. A lot of people that desperately need work. Hello? You know, it's not all that complicated. And I, I firmly believe that some social programs can shore up capitalism. I mean, a lot of historians have argued that uh, Franklin Roosevelt's social programs help save capitalism, that it absolutely can exist uh, together and, and should uh, exist together. I, I wonder about, you know, the fear, you know, is here we have Bernie Sanders, who's been exceedingly popular. Recent polls show that people do support socialist ideas. Um, 
do, to what degree do you think socialism is still seen as this scary other, or are the the imprints of you know the Iron Curtain, the jackbooted Soviet coming down, you know the the, the whole fifties picture of communism and describing you know socialism as as the same thing as as communism. Is it still seen as the scary other, or do you think there is some change? Well, um, a recent polls, and I don't know of the poll uh, you mentioned, but the latest poll I've I've seen, which was uh, conducted by the uh, Pew uh, Research Center, oh, very reputable, in September of um, uh, 2011. Um, showed that uh, 31% uh, of the, the, the population um, uh, responded uh, positively to the word socialism, that is, the, uh, the U.S. population. Um, now, uh, the rest didn't, that is, the other uh, 69% didn't, but nonetheless, there's a, a, a substantial chunk of people in, in the United States that, um, uh, you know, view it uh, positively. Now, if, if, if the word or words were democratic socialism, I, I suspect there would be a larger right. uh, positive response to it, because yes. that would imply, at least, that one was not talking about communism. Uh, so I think there are many people that still fear socialism, uh, probably most, but nonetheless there's an increasing number uh, that, that, that uh, seem to view it uh, quite uh, positively. And it seems to me that that um, whether Bernie Sanders wins or or loses this time round, um, his candidacy is going to help popularize um, the the term democratic socialism and uh, popularize democratic socialist ideas uh, and make them uh, much less scary to the average American. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, there's the term populism. I mean, Bernie Sanders is definitely a populist. Populism well, has, And populism has been around since before the actual founding of, of the country. You know, it's been with us since Shays' Rebellion, things like that. I, I wonder about possibly using that word. But then again, you know, as, as has been said in campaigns, when you are explaining, you are losing. And explaining socialism is is a difficult uh, thing to do, and I, I, I don't know. What's, what are your thoughts on uh, any chances of uh, of success? And well, then well, again, I think that Sanders is, is definitely uh, going to be asked, and he is being asked yeah. what you know what he's uh, talking about when he sees socialism, or mm -hmm. you know, how can you uh, talk about socialism when, when uh, clearly that's a horrible thing, yeah, blah blah right. blah. Uh, so he's going to have to explain. But, but nonetheless, it, it, it's clear that's not um, going to be his, his uh, theme song. Right. Uh, his theme song's going to be, uh, you know, a fight back against the billionaire class. Right. Um, let's fight for, for a just and more equitable uh, society. Yeah. And uh, that sounds populist, and it is populist. Uh, and so I think that uh, uh, he, he'll do better the more he, he uh, stresses uh, a social justice, and the less he, he has to uh, explain away the, right. uh, the word socialism. Yeah, and I think he's uh, been very, very effectively on the offensive. Go ahead, uh, uh, Lawrence. Well, I think that um, uh, it is time, though, Americans uh, got beyond this, this uh, phobia right. uh, about socialism and understood what it is and what it is not. 
and and understood that that in fact many um, um, enterprises in the United States are, are publicly owned. Yes. And and furthermore, that that socialism can be and is uh, a variety of things. Whether that means uh, public ownership, whether that means workers controlled enterprises, uh, whether that means co-ops, uh, or whether that means uh, uh, public control uh, through uh, regulation of uh, big business. So I think that, that it's about time Americans uh, discarded this uh, phobia yes. uh, about socialism and understood what it is and what it is not. And if they don't want government uh, regulation of big business and if they don't hmm. want uh, uh, workers' control, and if they don't want some measure of public ownership, then they're welcome uh, to vote against it. But they shouldn't vote against a, a, a phantom yeah. uh, and a myth. Absolutely. And, you know, one can still be a patriotic American. One can still like capitalism and be a socialist at the same right. time absolutely can happen. Well, thank you so much. This has been very, very interesting. Uh, our guest has been Dr. Lawrence Whitner. His newest book is What's Going On at You Aardvark? Sounds like a lot of fun, a political satire. We do like political satire. Thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you, Bert. Well, don't you let nobody turn you around, turn you around, turn you around. Well, don't you let nobody turn you around. You got to keep Marching to the freedom land Well, don't you let nobody 